0: I am starting a brand new series entitled Being Rich and What Matters Most, and I'm thrilled to start it. Uh, about seven years ago, I was impacted by a man by the name of Andy Stanley. He did a series called Be Rich, wrote a book called Be Rich, and it impacted me in such a way I, I shared a series on that about seven years ago. And I just want to give credit to him. This series is really based out of a book that I read by him uh, that impacted me in a great way. We're going to spend the next four weeks, uh, minus next week, We'll take a bye week next week and then jump back in the following. Uh, I think if there was ever a day where we need to really be grateful for what we have and to recognize the blessing of God in our life, how many know that's today? It's the day and age in which we live in, and so I'm thrilled uh, to share this series. I want to encourage you now, grab your message notes. We always provide these. Uh, When you walk in, you get the paper version. You can go online in the Bible app and search it. Uh, we're in the Bible app as well. You can also just take notes on your phone. There's always notes that happen on the screen. And I want to encourage you because, uh, you know, a lot of times you come to church and it's like, oh, it's good. But if you don't write it down, you won't walk out with it. How uh, I many you know you've walked out of something and said, oh, that was good? What he said? I don't know, but it was good. And uh, I've been there, and this is what I know, none of us have that great of a memory, so we just, we write it down, we go back. And I want to encourage you, even throughout this series, God's going to challenge you and challenge us, and uh, even me studying through it. It's, there, there has to be the mentality that I came to church not to get a man's opinion, not to hear a self-help seminar, but to hear what God has to say on a topic And then we walk out and we digest that, and it makes us better because it's God's Word. And uh, I want to encourage you to write it down. Go back home and study it this week, and let's see what God does to us, through us, and in us. Can I get an amen? Amen. I want to start off with a question. How many of you, as a kid, you wanted to be rich? All right. How many of you said, I want to be poor? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Nobody. Right. Everybody. How, how, how many know someone who is rich? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. How many thought if I was rich, I'd do a lot better with my money than they do? I, I could. I could make a bigger difference, a better impact. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 How many of you are filthy rich? I sure as well want you to watch. Okay. Right here. <laughs> make sure they get three envelopes. Come on. <laughs> Just play. Look, it's funny to me that when you talk about rich, nobody wants to be rich. We just just don't. Like, we want to be rich, but we don't want to say we're rich. You know, it's like, I want it, but I don't want anybody to recognize me as that. But we don't despise the fact that we're tall. Anybody tall? You say, I'm not tall. Yes, you're tall. Yes, Kenzie, you are tall. (laughs) She embraces her tallness. Yes, how about athletic? Someone says, I'm athletic. Like, you're not going to say, man, I'm not athletic. No, you're going to say, yes, I'm a baller. I'm athletic. Absolutely. Why? Because it's who you are. What about a Texans fan? Okay, got one. But I can't say Texans without cowboys. Come on, anybody got a cow? See, nobody, nobody. You, I, I decided if I ever wear a jersey, it's going to be half Texans, half cowboys, or the church will split. But what are you, a cowboys fan? You'll admit that, but nobody wants to admit that you're rich. I said, are you rich? Everybody would say, no. (laughs) Now you think it's a trick question, but I'm just telling you, if I say, hey, walked up, hey, are you rich? You'd be like, no, you're rich, I ain't rich. No, 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 but I want us to see this morning that when I ask the question, every one of us probably should have raised our hands. Why? Because you're rich. And over the next few weeks, I'm gonna take this series and I'm gonna help us to realize that we are rich, and that it's okay for us to be rich, but it's what we do with the wealth, it's what we do with what God gave us that matters most. God loves us. How many know God blessed us? He allowed us to be where we're at. We just need to make sure that our life honors God. And I want to dive into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Uh, this is going to be really our theme scripture for this series. And as I lay a foundation this week, I want us to continue... To focus on what God calls rich and what we're supposed to do with the wealth he gives us. Paul talking to Timothy, this is a pastoral epistle. So Paul is talking to him and he's not talking to you and he's not uh, talking to a congregation specifically, but he is talking to Timothy who pastors a young congregation. He's young, the congregation's young. And so Paul is gonna talk to him about, look, this is how you lead those people. This is what you should say and this is what you should do. And, and he goes to Timothy and says, look, from time to time, I want you to pause on what you're teaching on, and I want you to come back and I want you to look at verse 17. Command those. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, not suggest, he's saying, command them to what? To do good. To be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, lay for yourselves treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you will take hold of life that is truly life. Isn't that amazing what he's talking about? So he says, Look, I don't want you to be arrogant. I don't want you to put your hope in wealth. I want you to put your hope in God Himself. And then I want you to be generous in good deeds. I want you to be generous with what you have, and I want you to be willing to share. And then as we do this, we're laying for ourselves treasure in heaven, and we're going to live the life that God's called us to live. And one of the things that I've heard that I love so much is that every blessing you don't give back to praise to God is a potential to turn into pride. Every blessing that you get from God that you don't turn back to praise to him, it has the potential to build pride in your life because you think you did it. You think it was all because of your smarts and your strategy and your strength and, and, and your education. And the truth is, yeah, you may be educated, you might have strategy, but without God, you don't have anything. Gallup poll, uh, they did a, Gallup did a poll, and I was reading through, and they were talking about what it means to be rich. Okay, so, so how much money would you have to be to be rich? Now, here's what some people say. Look, if you make $100,000, you're rich. <laughs> some of you like, that's right. And some of you are like, are you kidding? That ain't nothing. Like, like, and, and what's the difference? Some of you don't make it, and some of you do. But they said, oh, okay, 100000 No, 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 no. Look, you, when you make it, it's not that I'm rich. Someone else is rich. And then they, they asked another one. Those who made $30,000 to $34,000 a year, what would it take for you to be rich? And you know what they said? They said $75,000. Wow. Yeah. Somebody like, wow, $75,000. Man, that's awesome. That would be rich. And those that make $75,000, what are you like? You're like, ooh, that ain't rich. We barely making it. And then there were some subscribers they asked to Money Magazine, uh, how much money would you have to have in assets or in liquid assets uh, to be considered rich or wealthy? And what they said was $5 million. So if I had $5 million in assets or liquid assets, you'd be considered rich. Some people say that's stinking rich. And then those of you that have that, you're like, hey, I ain't rich, but I know somebody who is rich, right? So, so what's, what, what am I saying? The rich line is always moving, that no matter what you make, rich is always a little bit more. Right. That no matter where you're at in life, you're not rich, but someone else is. And you know someone else is rich. But you don't realize that people are pointing to you and say, well, they're rich. They're wealthy. They've got it going on. And that's where we have to understand not what the world says is rich, but what does God call rich? So you have some good news this morning, some bad news, okay? you want the good news first. Good news is you're rich. Right, yeah. <laughs> you may not feel like it. But I want you to know you're rich. If you've got running water, you're better off than most people around the world. How many know you didn't think twice about grabbing a bucket, going down to a well, going down to a river, and getting some water and bringing it back to your house so that you could take a bucket bath? Come Come on. People all over the world, that's how they live, and yet here we are taking for granted the fact that we've got running water that comes right into our house, and we can drink it, we can take a bath with it, we actually flush the toilet with it. If you've got sufficient food and clothes, if you live in a house and apartment, if you have reasonably reliable transportation, you live in the top 15% in the world. And if you own a car, you're in the top 3%. You say, yeah, but my car's not much. That's no, 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 no. Do you own a car? Okay, you're in the top 3%. And many people, they don't own just one car. They've got two cars and some not even two, but they got three. The top 3% of wealth earners in the world. And and I know that you don't feel like you're rich, but I need to remind you, you're rich. That God has blessed you. That as an American, you are rich. And in fact, it it was very interesting. I I read a stat that 2.6 billion people in the world live on less than $2. 2 2.6 billion And a lot of times, this is what we would do with $2. And they live on it. Imagine living on $2 or less in your life to survive. In fact, if you make $33,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. If you make $80,000 or more, you're in the top 0.1% wage earners in the world. Can you imagine? I mean, so when you look at... Our status, not just as Americans, but around the world, I, I know sometimes, look, I told you that, and you're like, ain't nobody said, woo, praise God. I came into church today, and I felt broke. I felt busted and disgusted. I felt poor. but now I realize I'm rich. Yeah. Now I made your day. Right. <laughs> I realize it. Why? It's because you don't feel rich. It's because the paradigm that you're living with is not God's paradigm in your life. There is something that the world has implanted into us that rich is always more, rich is always further, rich is always there. It's a moving target, but I want you to know today, you are rich and it's okay. Everybody say, it's okay. I want you to say this, we say, I'm rich and it's okay. Can I tell you that God chose to bless you? I'm not going to be ashamed of the blessings of God in my life. God didn't call us to be poor. And if he wants me to be poor, I'm going to praise him without money, and I'm going to praise him with money. I'm going to praise him when I got stuff, and I'm going to praise him when I don't have stuff. But I'm not going to feel embarrassed about having it. I'm just going to make sure I'm doing what God wants me to do with it. Ecclesiastes 5.19, look at what he says. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, this is a gift from God. Can we just say, thank you, God? Thank you, thank you for your gift. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not at all. I'm like, thank you, God. I'm so grateful. Now, God, I, I just, I give it back to you. I live with open hands and open hearts. And then look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9.11. You will be made rich in every way. It's not just finances. Look, if if the only place you're blessed is finances. You're really poor because it's in your marriage, right? I want to be rich in my marriage. I want to be rich in relationships. I want to be rich with my family. I want to be rich in my health. I want to be rich in every area of my life. And he says he makes us that way. Why? So that we can be Generous. generous. And yet, as Americans who are the most wealthy and blessed, and even Christians, we live with closed hands and tight fists. And God said, look, I gave you a responsibility. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel ashamed. Feel grateful. And then, look, I want you to open up your hands. Why? Because I want you to be generous and to bless, not on some occasions, but every occasion. Can we be the ones that go into the restaurant, and even if the wait staff mess it up and the cook mess it up, us give 20 and 30 and 40 percent, maybe we ought to just tip our whole bill and say, that's what grace feels like. You see what I mean? Like, like God, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to pay for people who, who are behind me at the grocery store. I'm going to buy someone's holy chicken Monday through Saturday in the drive-thru behind me. I'm going to bless people around me every single time I can. Why? Because God's blessed me, I'm going to live generous. And that's the assignment. Of us as believers, it's the privilege that we have as Americans. There's a responsibility. I need you to know that we're going to get to heaven, and God's going to say, what did you do with it? And this would be a terrible answer. God, I was poor. I don't know what you expected of me. So what are you saying? That's why you got to wake up. That's why we got to say, God, I, I recognize your blessing, and I'm going to be generous on all occasions. Why? Because I'm going to be rich in what matters most. Now, here's the bad news. The bad news is... You're rich. <laughs> you're rich. Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 24 through 25. How hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Isn't that crazy? So on one hand, God's blessed me. On the other hand, God's blessed me. I mean, you know, sometimes it's easier to live for God when you ain't got, you, you You're broke relationships aren't doing well, you're like, oh, Lord, help me. You hear all the time. But the blessings of God, if we're not careful, they will seduce us and drag us away from God. And so we've got to be wakened up and say, look, you are rich. And there is a problem with being rich if you're not careful. What is it? Rich people are plagued with discontentment. Oh, the more stuff you get, the more stuff you... Oh, it is. There's an insatiable appetite for more. Aren't appetites interesting? Anybody like sugar? It's like one of the legal drugs that we as Christians can consume and nobody judges us harshly. <laughs> that was my wife, preach, preach. Preach, preach, up. love brownies. Holy brownies. Holy Giardelli brownies. I didn't got to have no vanilla ice cream. I'll take it. But have you ever forked a brownie pan to death? (laughs) You're like, what did he say? (laughs) Yeah. No, you're like, I'm not going to get a piece. I'm just going to take a little bite. And you're like, that little bite will fill me up and I'll be good. How many know that little bite don't do nothing but make you want more? And then, then you start circling. My wife calls it circling. You just... You little bite. You go do something else. and come back. Next thing you know, you ate the whole pan. <laughs> Why? Because that's what sugar does. The more you get, the more you... Wealth is the same way. Things are the same way. The comforts of this world, if we're not careful, they will seduce us to start living for them instead of living for him. Look Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless... To think that wealth brings true happiness—the more you have, the more people will come and help you spend it. So, what good is wealth, except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard for sleep—people uh, who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich seldom get a good night's a, good night of sleep. What's he saying? Is he saying money's wrong? No, he's not. It's just the love of money, and and what he's talking about is the more you get, the more you have to insure the more you have to maintain. Come on, somebody. You're like, I want that vacation house. I want that. Whatever it is. And now you got maintenance, you got insurance, you got liabilities. And and so what you realize is that more that you were consuming and wanting and craving now causes you to not even enjoy the very thing that you have. And he's just saying, look, be careful. Be careful, because you think that more is going to quench your thirst, but it doesn't. We're plagued with discontentment. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, I don't have that lake house. I don't have that home that we VRBO out for second income or third income. No, but we have this thing in America. Now, it's probably not you, but it's called upgrades. Anybody anybody ever had an upgrade? You, You take something that's working perfectly well, functioning just like it should, And you go in and you upgrade it for the same exact thing that's just a little bit newer, a little bit better, and costs a whole lot more. Upgrades. You know, I mean, I know you guys have never done it, but you take a perfectly good working car down to a car dealership. And you leave that perfectly good car there. And you go inside of the dealership and you give them more money for a perfectly good working car that's a little bit newer but does exactly what the old car that you left there does. Upgrade. Upgrade. How about phones? iPhone 37.4. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding? They all have cameras. All oh, right, I, I got to have the camera for social media. Look, they all do the same thing. You're going to go take your iPhone to the Apple store. You're going to stand in line. You're going to go to an associate. You're going to give them the Apple iPhone, which costs you as much as a computer and a college education. <laughs> and you're going to mortgage your other child's college education. <laughs> For a camera that works a little bit better and runs a little bit faster in the processing of the phone, those are upgrades. I mean think about the, now I mean none of you ever done any of that, but what about your closet? I mean think about this. you have a room for all of your clothes to live in, a room for your clothes and, and a room you got so many clothes. I was talking to the staff earlier today they were laughing. One of the men in the meeting said, I want my wife to give me back my part of the closet. (laughs) So let's just be real. The women have this closet full of clothes, and men, we got a section. (laughs) Think about this. And then we will walk into this house for the clothes that we have, and we will, and you probably did it, some of you might have done today. I got a whole closet full of nothing. Pastor Peter was telling me, which you did a great job last weekend, Pastor Peter, I loved the message, so good. We were talking about it, and he said, did you know back in the early 300s of, uh, you know, right after Christ was born, theologians, and they, I think it was the Roman culture, he was telling me, they only had two garments to wear. There work garment and one that was just a little bit worse in case something happened to it. How many of you only had two garments to wear? Yeah. Contentment. Here's the second problem rich people have is rich people live with a false sense of security. It's the problem with being rich. See, you actually believe that you can save your way to safety. That if you save enough money that they'll have enough financial, and we hear this all the time from financial planners, we call it financial security we got to be so careful, though, because that's not the truth. You can't save your way to financial security. You can't build your wealth so that you can insulate yourself from calamity. Look at Proverbs eighteen eleven. The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. Think about it. A high wall. So, so if the more I get, the higher the wall. I can insulate myself. But the Bible says, look, that, that's a false sense of security. It's an illusion. It's a mirage. I mean, think about this. Let me ask you this. How much money would you need to make sure you're secure for your future against all the calamities? How much money would you need? Somebody? You don't have to answer, but think about it. Here's what I would tell you. More than you currently have. Right. No matter what it is, it's like, how much do you need? More. How much do you need? More. How much do you need? More. No, no, no. You don't need more. You just got to have what you got to give what you have to the right person and allow it to be in his hands so that when calamity comes, when recession comes, when inflation comes, I am inflation proof. I'm recession proof. I don't care about the economy because what I have belongs to my God and God has my life. Now hear me. Listen, I, I have a savings account. I am a very good steward of our money. You can ask Phyllis and our kids. We have worked hard to steward it well. We work hard here at this church. So I'm not saying not to have a savings account, but I want you to know if your hope begins to be in that savings more than God, you're setting yourself up for failure. You gotta be real, real careful. Because that's what the, the enemy wants. Because then when God says, hey, it's time for you to give, you're going to say, hold up, God, that's, that's what we need to make sure we survive. And God's like, no, no, I need you to give that because it's the law of reciprocity that God will not multiply what's not sown. And so many people have consumed their seed instead of giving their seed. Their security has been in wealth and in money. And so God says to give and they don't give and wonder why when the recession hits, their life falls apart. It's because the enemy robbed you. He caused you to consume the seed instead of sow the seed. That's right. that's and I know what you're saying. If you're brand new, you're like, well, where's the offering plate? There ain't no offering plate. There's no bucket. Nobody's going to pass it around. In fact, we do giving centers and online giving. Why? Because I believe the Lord speaks, and then you need to take a step to obey God. Why? Because I believe that's part of obedience, that giving is a part of worship. And I I, I got, you know, there used to be a time when I was nervous to talk about money. You know, you start the church and it's like, you're building corn in the crib. We've been doing this way too long. There's way too much history. And I'm telling you, the word of God will not fail. There are some of you right now, your life has been falling apart financially. I feel it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you would allow the Lord to speak to you and break off the lie of the enemy in your life, I promise you, you will see the blessing of God no matter what happens around the world. Around us. So, how do we shift our mentality? How do we shift it? Because that's what we have to do, right? I've, I've got to understand that wealth can't give us safety and security, and understand, okay, God, you've got a way of thinking about this. So, how is it that I can have a paradigm shift or change the mentality of what I have for money? What's the most biblical response? And I know some of you say, okay, this is where, pastor, you're going to say, give it all away. I, I know that. you like, sell your house, go live in something smaller, go feed the poor, and now this is where the guilt comes in, and you're going to guilt us to be doing what God wants. Not, I don't want to guilt you. I want to motivate you. Yeah. I want to inspire you. And, and, and the thing is not to go and give it all away and live in a shack. Here's what I want to challenge you with, three things. Number one, I will be grateful What's my response, Pastor? Just be grateful. Yes. Can we just say thank you, Lord, for bless? Come on, say say thank you, Lord, for blessing me, for making me rich. I, I look at my life, and and out of all the countries, out of all the cities, out of all the states, all the places, all the churches, God brought us here to this place to live the life that we have today, to be a part of the church we're a part of. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful. Back to it, yes. We have a sign out on the stage and it says, thank you, Lord, for choosing me today. It's a privilege to be on this stage, this altar. Thank you, God, for choosing me. It's on both entrances of this stage. Why do we do that? Because every time we come up here, we don't take it for granted. God, thank you that we're not portable. Thank you that we're not setting up and tearing down today. God, thank you that we have a building that's not just a building, but it's an excellent building. God, I thank you that we get to have services where lives are changed, people's marriages are healed. Families are restored. Healing takes place in, in their bodies. God, we are grateful for what you have done in our life. It's an attitude of gratitude. So grateful. Look, David had this attitude. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10 through 14. Now, to give you a little bit of context of this passage, David writes this passage, after having given God 110 tons of gold. That's 220,000 pounds of gold. How many know that's a lot of gold? So David has given God this, and his generosity has stirred the generosity of the people, and he's inspired them. And look at what he says. Look what it says. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise be to you. O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, and the splendor, for everything in heaven is yours. "'Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. "'You are exalted as head over all. "'Wealth and honor come from you. "'You are the ruler of all things. "'In your hands are strength and power to exalt "'and give strength to all. "'Now, our God, we give you thanks "'and praise your glorious name.'" Look what he says in verse 14. "'But who am I and who are your people?' that they should be able to give so generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. What an attitude of gratitude. He recognized, I mean, can you imagine you're the king? He could say, I, I won those treasures from all the victories that I've had. I'm the one that taxed people. I'm the one that built this wealth. And the whole time David said, God, we give back only what belongs to you. It's, it's all yours anyway. And then he is just grateful. And what's amazing is his heart of gratitude stirs the people, and the people give. And then they're able to build the temple of God. Solomon comes back and builds the temple of God. But it all flowed out of a heart of generosity. I want you to be guilty, I want you to be grateful. Gratitude is what makes us more generous. Second thing is, I wanna lead with generosity. Before I spend, I wanna give. I wanna lead with generosity. I think it's okay to go buy stuff. I think you got to be careful why you're buying it. I mean, you know, sometimes we get addicted to the high of, man, this is something new. And sometimes we're just filling this void inside of us. But I don't mind buying things. I just want to give first. The best way to put our discontentment in check is to give to God first. It's to say, God, I know I've got this, but I'm going to give to you. That, that's where I believe the tithe comes in. God, i give you my first and my best. And I give it to you. And then as I give it to you, then I'm asking you, God, this is all yours. What do you want me to do? Do you mind if I buy the car? Then God says, go buy the car. God says, go have a nice house. But here's what I want to invite us to do: is can we say, God, I'm going to give first before I spend first? God, I'm going to return back to you what belongs to you before I spend these other dollars and resources on myself. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 35. You'll not long. you not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering what the Master said. You're far happier giving than getting. Look at Matthew six twenty one. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah, I often look at our life and just say, Where do you spend your Christianity and discipleship is really not as complicated as people make it out to be. I could see if you're a disciple. I mean, I can't see by the clothes you're wearing, the smile that you have. I can't, can't see it even by the words that you say. But if you give me two things, I'll be able to see if you're a disciple. Show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. I didn't get a whole lot of amens right there. See, here's what we've got to be careful of. If you were under trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What do you mean, discipleship is just calendar and checkbook? Well, because calendar shows where I spend my time, and checkbook shows where my heart is. You know, if you if you if you go buy stocks, how I many you know you're checking out the stocks? Some some of you don't have stocks, but if you got a stock in a company, you you never even cared about the company until you started buying stock in the company. You know what I'm talking about? You never cared about things until you invest in them. You never cared about sports until you started buying all the sports you know, paraphernalia, and someone's watching, and you start investing in tailgate parties, and you got the Cowboys hat or the Texans hat. You start buying all the stuff and investing in it. Now, now you've got some investment in it. Here's what I know. A lot of people don't care about the church because they're not invested in the church. They want a self-help seminar, so they come on Sunday, and they sit here. They get fed. They leave having never invested in this, and then they can easily leave. Look, if you're invested in this place, you ain't going to leave in this place. Why? You're invested. You want to make sure I'm a stockholder. This is my church. I need to make sure pastor's healthy. I need to make sure the, de- the departments are healthy. I need to make sure that parking lot is clean. Look, when you're an investor, you're like, hey, there's trash in the parking lot. Not, not them go pick it up. I'm going to pick it up. Why? This is my house. I'm an investor. It's, it's what I give to. It's where my, my treasure is. I can always tell someone to say, you know, how do you know if someone's leaving? If someone's, Well, just check their giving. They were consistent in giving. The, they stop giving. They're going to be leaving. It's the greatest indicator of anything. Why? Because you're no longer investing. So you can want to be an investor or you can be an investor. But, but eventually your heart always goes. So here's what I would ask you. Do you want your investment to just be in a football team? Wow. What about Apple? Amazon, come on man, Amazon makes it so easy to shop. My wife laughs at me. We get packages all the time. I'm like, "Well, I don't want to go shop for gym shorts. I don't want to shop for a gym shirt." She she thinks I spend all this money, but I just I'm not going to the mall. Right. <laughs> First part of recovery is admit it. <laughs> Where's your investment? Isn't that that so simple? Just evaluate. Just evaluate. God, I love you. Do you? Show me your time. Show me your checkbook. Give God the first and the best. See, generosity leads and your heart follows. Generosity leads and your heart follows. You want to love something? Give to it. You want to love those who are um, human trafficked? Give to an organization that rescues people that have been human trafficked. See, some of you, you got sympathy, but not compassion. Sympathy is, I'm sorry, compassion moves you. When you give, that makes you compassionate. You're like, man, I'm gonna go out there and go help them. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. So, so wherever your generosity, where your giving goes, that's where your heart's gonna follow. Just know that. And then here's the final part I want you to walk away with is my hope comes from God. That's how, that's how we change this. Proverbs chapter 30, verse eight through nine. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. So why would he say that? Because falsehood and lies are bad thinking. Keep bad thinking away from me. And what's the right thing? How do I think right? And biblically, he says, look, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of my God. What's he saying? Man, just put your hope in God. I'm going to put my, God, whatever you choose to bless me with, I'm grateful. And then what happens is if that ever gets taken away or something happens, you're still grateful. I always look at people that have gone through a bad situation. You know, I've owned businesses. I've lost businesses. I've made good decisions on things. I've made bad decisions. I've done things and done nothing wrong. And I think the thing that has held my true north, the steady compass of my life, is I never did those things for me. I always just said, God, what do you want me to do? I love it, thank God when I'm wealthy and thank God when I'm broke. I can live either way because my eye is set on eternity. That God, I don't trust the money in my bank, I don't trust the house that I live in or the car that I drive, but I do trust you. And if you want it, you can have it. If you take it, you can take it. I don't care, my hope is in you, my trust is in you, my love is to you and everything I have belongs to you. I'm gonna close with this one thought. I want you to write this down. Make sure you write this down. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And I want to calm your fear with inflation. I know you went to the gas pump. Hey, I filled it. Mm -hmm. I got like two amen. Mm -hmm. I got it. Amen, pastor. I got you. $142 later. Whoo! filled up my truck. I'm like, wow. We're going to be walking to the rec center for pool today. And you know, my heart said, God, inflation doesn't scare you. You know, Phyllis and I were talking about, well, what do you do? You just, here's, here's how you beat inflation. You jump into God's system. See, there's always a heavenly system that overrides an earthly system. And that's where your trust now begins to be in God. I'm not going to be afraid of the economy. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do, but I know my God knows what we're going to do. And that's why I've got to teach you right now, I feel this, this urgency, because the world is freaking out, but we don't have to freak out. Your God is not afraid. Our God is not afraid. He's not knocked off saying, oh, my God, he caught me by surprise. Now I say, just stay steady. Stay calm. Here's what I want you to hear, too. Your job is not your source. Do you hear me? I don't care how much your paycheck says, there's a God in heaven that can get you the blessing any way he wants. So you just live with open hands and you just, and and don't go around begging. Let's don't be beggars. Like, you know, don't do a holy hint. No, no, no. You just say, God, I'm, I'm looking. You need something, you ask God. And here's what I've always learned. Just don't consume the seed that God has placed in your hands. If what you have is not enough, then it's a seed for you to sow for the harvest God wants to bring in your life. So I'm always looking, God, where do you want me to sow it? God, what do you want me to do? Sometimes it'll be here. The legacy offering is one of the ways. Maybe it's an organization. The other day I was driving by and a lady was sitting on the side of the road, and I I always cringe. I'm hesitant because I feel like I, I'm a I'm a D, and the biggest thing of a D on a, a disc is that I don't want to be taken advantage of, and I'm always thinking, Ah, oh, is she for real? And I felt the Lord said, It's not your job to. Judge judge her. It's your job to obey. And so I just pulled out my cash and gave it to her. And she was all, thank you, thank you. And I just said, hey, God loves you. Because I think we think I've got to judge it. No, no, you just got to obey. Like what they do with it, they'll be held accountable with it. Go buy the groceries, buy the pump of gas, do whatever the Lord speaks to you, and you're sowing seed to overcome this environment that's happening around us in America. And then don't ever forget, even if it gets tight, I've been there, 10 cents in my pocket, barely enough gas to make it, that God, I am blessed. That 10 cents, I'm blessed. I got running water, I got lights, I got electricity. Look, if we gotta walk, you got health in your body. I don't care, God, I am blessed and I choose to be a blessing to the world around me. Don't live clo- uh, closed fist in this in this environment. Let's live with open hands, give and give. Oh, wow, that's a generous church. Then what happens is God says, yeah, that's how I get the glory. Stand up. Let's pray.